0: We're going to jump in this morning. We are uh, speaking on repentance, which is one of those uh, topics that we probably hear that word a lot. And and sometimes that word can sound maybe a little bit negative. But uh, just in my time preparing to preach on repentance, it has been extremely um, life-giving for me just to to revisit this truth and reality, because I think, for all of us as followers of Jesus, is that this is not a one-time scenario. This is, you know, repentance is not something that we do once when we realize that Jesus Christ is Lord of our lives and Savior of our lives. This is something that is uh, constantly taking place in our lives, and you know, it, it's very uh, pertinent for the series that we're in, talking about becoming like Christ. Obviously. Two weeks ago, Nate uh, preached on temptation. Uh, last week, Paul preached on prayer. And so this morning, I'm preaching on repentance. But it's important for us to realize that repentance doesn't run parallel like the concept of prayer, or the concept of temptation, in the sense of becoming like Christ. Repentance is the way of life. Repentance is the way by which all of those other things come into being. And so... Um, just as we're looking at this this morning, I hope that it's going to be refreshing and empowering, and uh, I just want to pray for us before we jump in. So Holy Spirit, I thank you that your job is to point us to Jesus, that your job, that your hope, that your, your plan is that he gets all the glory, that, that the light shines on him. And so this morning I pray, Lord, as we consider your scriptures and, and your ways, I just pray that you are the one who changes our hearts, that you're the one who draws us near. Lord, we don't want to just be hearers of the word and so deceive ourselves, we want to do what it says. And Lord, I just pray this morning we would be challenged and encouraged to continue going deeper in you. In Jesus' name, amen. I really do believe repentance is the key for us to experience God in every area of our lives. It's, it's one of those things like when you read the scriptures, there's two words. There's a Hebrew word and there's a Greek word. The, Hebrew, uh, the, the Greek word is the word metanoia or metaneo, uh, which means to change one's mind. We've probably heard that a whole lot. Um, but the word that we don't hear much about is the Hebrew word, which is teshuvah or chuva, which simply means to return. And so the, the word return, to return, teshuvah, comes more in the Old Testament than it does in the New Testament. Um, but I find it very helpful to understand repentance by looking at both of, those, both of those words. And what we're hitting on this morning is the reality of repentance. And repentance, to me, true repentance, is not just changing the way you think. Right? Because I think often it's like, repent! Change the way you think. And yes, it is very true. But true repentance, deep repentance, is when we change the way we think. And ultimately what happens is it changes the way we act. In other words, it's kind of measurable, you know? And so what I always like to think about is, when I think about repentance, it's not just changing the way we think. If If we blend those two, the Greek and the Hebrew, it's like, change the way you think and return. And if you go downtown, you're going to see super high-rise buildings, right? Super big, tall, high-rises. And there's one that's usually the most expensive. It's the highest one. And what do we call it? Penthouse. Penthouse. (laughs) Pent. Pent. So I always think, for repentance, what is it? Change the way you think and return to the high place. The Bible tells us that... God's ways are higher than our ways and his thoughts are higher than our thoughts. Repentance is about learning how to think the way he does and live the way he did. But I also want to say that repentance and faith go hand in hand. There's something that has to change in our actions when we realize that he is king and he is savior. And I don't know what your journey is of becoming a Christian. I don't know if you were someone who experienced like you felt like you had willful rejection like in your life before you met Christ. Like you didn't actually want to believe in Christ. That was your predisposition. I don't know if that was your position or if you were just uninterested. Life was good enough. You could just do what you wanted to do. Uh, You know, the idea of submitting your life to Jesus Christ was very inconvenient. Maybe that's you. I don't know. Um, Or maybe you just had no idea. You were just ignorant. It was like, you know, I suppose it would be like me and flying a kite. It's not something I've done a whole lot. I, You know, I wouldn't really, it's not of huge interest to me. And so, ah, it is what it is, right? But some of us didn't come into our faith until one of those three areas was sort of addressed or overcome. And the Bible teaches us very clearly that repentance takes place at salvation. It's a requirement, right? When when Peter is standing on on the first sermon he preaches after he is filled with the Holy Spirit in Acts 2, he tells um, a whole bunch of visiting Jews, he says, you are the ones who killed Jesus, but God raised him from the dead. And the Bible says that they were cut to the heart, and they said, what should we do? And Peter's response, repent and be baptized, right? Right? Repent and be baptized. What's he saying? Change what you think. Return to the high reality that Jesus is Lord, that Jesus is the Christ, the Messiah. And so that is the constant call for us as believers. Not just when we say, yes, Jesus is Lord in salvation at the time of conversion, but know that Jesus is Christ, Jesus Christ is Lord every single day. Every moment where I have an opportunity to identify, am I Lord or is he Lord? Right? Am I my Savior, or is He my Savior? Listen to this, Titus 2.11. God's marvelous grace has manifested in person, bringing salvation for everyone. This same grace teaches us how to live each day as we turn our backs on ungodliness and indulgent lifestyles, and it equips us to live self-controlled, upright, godly lives in this present age. So, what is repentance? And why repentance? Psalm 19 says this The law or instruction of the Lord is perfect, reviving, refreshing, restoring the soul. The message renders it like this The revelation of God is whole and pulls our lives together. The signposts of God are clear. And point out the right road. The life maps of God are right, showing the way to joy. The directions of God are plain and easy on the eyes. God's reputation is 24 karat gold with a lifetime guarantee. The decisions of God are accurate, down to the nth degree. And this morning as we unpack um, repentance, I want to draw our attention to the Psalms. Because the Psalms are where we see a lot of um, raw confession, sin, acknowledgement, repentance taking place between God and man. Man and God, I should say. And so if you're interested, there are, there are sort of, scholars have identified that there are seven sort of penitential psalms that we find among the 150 psalms in, in sort of right down the middle of your Bible. But if you're interested in writing them, there are Psalm 6, Psalm 32, Psalm 38, Psalm 51, Psalm 102, 130, and 143. And this morning I just want to go through Psalm 32. It says this. Blessed is the one whose transgressions are forgiven, whose sins are covered. Blessed is the one whose sin the Lord does not count against them and in whose spirit is no deceit. When I kept silent, my bones wasted away through my groaning all day long, for day and night your hand was heavy upon me. My strength was sapped as in the heat of summer. Then I acknowledged my sin to you and did not cover up my iniquity I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord, and you forgave the guilt of my sin. Therefore, let all the faithful pray to you while you may be found. Surely the rising of the mighty waters will not reach them. You are my hiding place. You will protect me from trouble and surround me with songs of deliverance. I will instruct you and teach you in the way you should go. I will counsel you with my loving eye on you. Do not be like the horse or the mule. Which have no understanding, but must be controlled by bit, by bit and bridle, or they will not come to you. Many are the woes of the wicked, but the Lord's unfailing love surrounds the one who trusts in him. Rejoice in the Lord and be glad, you righteous. Sing all who are upright in heart. This morning I want to address one of the biggest things that humans face, which is guilt. Who here would say you've experienced guilt at a very real level in your life? Most people, everyone, really. You know, <clears throat> guilt is one of those things like we read here, David is experiencing guilt, right? When you, when you read this, he says, when I kept silent, my bones wasted away. Isn't it crazy when you think about the fact that guilt, something that takes place in your, in your head or in your heart, if you will, can affect your body physically. You know, it's the feeling. It's like everything could be right. You could step outside. The sun is shining. You know, your car is running fine. Your living accommodations are sorted out. You could have all the relationships in your life that you want. But if you've done something that is not sitting right with you, it's like that has a physical effect on your body, on your mood. We've all been there. And David is saying that when he kept silent, his bones... We're wasting away. Guilt is like that, isn't it? It's like you, 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 no matter what you do, until that thing is made right, you just feel it. You just feel it. Psalm 32, what we've just read, verse 5 says this, Then I acknowledged my sin to you and did not cover up my iniquity. But verse 1 says this, Blessed is the one whose transgressions are forgiven, whose sins are covered. You know the story of of David. Psalm 51, one, one of the penitential psalms, is a psalm where David is crying out to God because he covered up this big, massive sin. He had an affair with a woman. He tried to hide it by getting the husband killed on the front lines of battle. And then after he was killed on the front lines, he had these code words, tell me if it did happen, and if it does, okay, let me know. They let him know, and then he takes that woman, makes, him, makes her his wife, another wife, on top of many, and, uh, and then the Bible says that she bore him that child because she actually got pregnant from that situation. And it's a very messy, messy situation. But David as king has sort of, covered it up because he managed to pull the right strings and hide this scenario. And then Nathan the prophet comes to him, unbeknown to like any of the reality of what's taken place, because God has said, I'm not going to let this slide. And what happens is, he shares a picture with David about a, two men You know, one has a lot of sheep and one only has one sheep. You know, one worked very hard for the one sheep and only the one. But then when uh, it came to preparing a meal for someone, the guy with a hundred sheep went and took the man's sheep who only had one and he slaughtered that sheep and gave it instead of his own. David, what should we do? David, angry, livid. That man will die. What does Nathan say? David, that man is you. I brought you out of the sheep pen. I did this. If you had wanted more, I would have given you more. Right? And I think, for me, when I think of that, the Bible tells us that the Lord was not pleased with David in that moment. Why? Because he took of another man's. he sinned. But Psalm 51 tells us, through that passage, that he realizes the guilt of his sin. You know what he says? God, against you and you alone have I sinned. Only you. And sometimes for us as as followers of Jesus, we forget that every single sin is first and foremost against God alone. But what Psalms is telling us, he says, Then I acknowledged my sin to you and did not cover up my iniquity. Blessed is the one whose transgressions are forgiven, whose sins are covered. You know what Nathan said to David? Because you didn't act honestly in this sin, God is exposing it. Because you didn't bring it to light, he brings it to light. But this passage said, look, then I acknowledged my sin to you and I did not cover up my iniquity. Look, David's saying that that because I uncovered my sin to you, you covered it. You see, when we live our lives in that place of, of trying to hide our sin, we actually force God's hand to expose it. I know that sounds crazy, but it's true. It happened in the story of David. Why? Because the reality is, God is more interested in our likeness than our escape artist mentality. He's so interested in making us like him that when it comes to the areas of sin that we try and hide, he says, if you hide them, I will expose them. But if you will expose them to me, I will cover them. That is the power of repentance. And you know what? If you're, if you're a good Christian, then you probably don't have any sort of um, uh, crazy, explicit sin in your life. And maybe you do. It doesn't matter. It really doesn't matter. What matters is how we live that out through a lifestyle of repentance. You know, you can go back to Genesis 1, 2, and 3. This is like, you know, go back to the garden. BJ loves to go back to the garden. Go back to the garden. Let's go back to the garden. But you know what's interesting about the garden? As we see in chapters 1, 2, and 3, every evening, Adam and Eve walked through the garden naked. Right? And the Bible says they knew no shame. Right? They knew no shame. They walked through the garden and it was always okay. Right? Evening strolls with God. Evening strolls with each other walking through the garden. But then one night... God shows up, and what happens? Adam and Eve. Swan dive into the bushes. Why? Isn't this so funny? Why did they swan dive into the bushes? They swan dived into the bushes Why, when God asked them, where, where are you? We hid. Why? Because we're naked. What? Adam, you're always naked. Right? You're always naked, Adam. What do you mean? You're hiding in the bushes because you're naked? But what happened when they when they sinned? Suddenly, they couldn't handle transparency. What is nakedness? What is that? Anyone else in your life at some point? You can be honest because it doesn't have to be current. Remember having this reoccurring dream for like a, just like this random phase of my life where all of a sudden I was dropped like butt naked in the middle of a city <laughs> and you don't know what to cover and you don't know where to run and there's people everywhere. Has everyone, And like it's kind of like the dream when you're like, your body's walking off the edge of a cliff and you're trying to turn back but you keep like moonwalking off <laughs> like and then you wake up when you hit the ground, right? They used to say, like, if you don't wake up and you hit the ground, you die. It's not true. Um, but has anyone ever had a dream like that? It's like kind of horrific. No one wants to be honest. All right. Okay. I'm alone. I get it. I get it. But what is it? Nakedness is no control over what people see. Right? No control. None. It's like you put on makeup, Right? Hide some blemishes, and if you're not feeling like you're on your game, you know this, okay, get the baggy sweater. (laughs) Right? All these things, right? Nakedness. You can't control what people see. So, if repentance is not our antidote to cover up nakedness, what is? You ever thought about that for yourself? What do you do... To cover up your nakedness. If it's not repenting. Are you a blame shifter? Am I a blame shifter? It wasn't my fault. What about avoidance? Ah, oh, I can't see that person. Like I totally didn't call them back. Like You know, you see text, send the quick text. Oh hey, hey, hey. Right? Are you an avoider? Or do you like to numb things with pleasure? Go shopping, buy a lot of clothing, go spoil yourself, get drunk, buy yourself at home. No one knows. It's okay. It's cool. Right? I'm asking, honestly, think about it. Because like so much of the church is like these meetings. We can have these meetings, right? And then it's like, cool. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You know, can't wait to go home and do the thing I really want to do. Right? Or what about criticize others? Why is like celebrity gossip just so appealing? And why do they position it just so perfectly at the till of every grocery store ever? It's like, why? Oh, look, their marriage is falling apart. Yeah, we had a fight, but it wasn't that bad. Like these guys, they're having second thoughts. I'm not going to deal with my stuff, right? The curse of comparison, criticizing others. Or what about trying to achieve? It's like pick your poison, pick your niche. Some people are into like painting those little characters and like they have these massive displays in their houses with all these little warriors and stuff. And it's like, you know, if you, <laughs> it's not my thing, but that could be someone's identity. Is your job your identity? Is your career, what you've achieved? Is the fact that everybody likes you your identity? Does it pay for the guilt that you feel? Or what about how you look? If you care too much about how you look, it's like, oh, come on. I can't go out in that. Or what about extreme generosity? Extreme generosity, that's a very interesting one. Are you a very generous person so that no one can come in? I was thinking like, you know, we've all seen whoever it is, the person who has like fought tooth in every show about the law and all these things. Like someone who's fought tooth and nail to become the CEO of a company. Right? And you fought long and hard, and, and you know, you've burned through a couple marriages, you've got, you've got uh, bitter kids sprinkled all over the globe, but you want your name on a hospital wing. Why? It's guilt. It's got to be guilt. What else could it be? Or what about beating yourself up? That's like pretty classic, because we're so nice in Canada. We probably mostly do that, beat ourselves up, right? Remember, Gray was like, our little boy was so frustrated, like, I'm not concerned about this story, but he's so frustrated, he's sitting at the table, and like, something didn't go his way, and he's just angry, and he's hitting the table, and then he hits me, and then, he's, and then he starts hitting himself like this. He doesn't know what to do with himself, he's so frustrated, but, but that's kind of like what happens, right? It's like, he's hitting the table, he's like, I'm blame-shifting, now I'm, now I'm criticizing you and now uh, I'm going to beat myself up. What's going to make me feel better? Right? But I think the story of Adam and Eve is a, is a good one for us. Because when we think about this story, Adam and Eve in the garden naked, all of a sudden, they partake of this tree, which was the one thing God said don't do. Just the one thing. Amazing how that works. It's like with our... Littlest girl, Mika, I know, like, if there's one thing that I don't want her to do, I'm just not going to tell her about it, because she probably won't do it. The second I tell her about it, she'll just, like, want to look at you and just, I'm leaving the room. This is what happens, right? The one thing, and then all of a sudden, what, what was so comfortable for them, what? What was so comfortable? They were clothed, actually, in their nakedness, they were clothed in God's righteousness. But the second they decided to exchange that righteousness for that sin, what happened? They became aware of their nakedness and it was uncomfortable. Why? Because they had no control over what someone saw. So if you resonated or, or chuckled or something just like you ignored it, something pierced you for a second there about my list of things that like, oh, is that me? No, that could never be me right? The thing for us is like, okay, well, if something, if something pricks our heart, we go, okay, this is actually me, like, you know, whether I want to admit it or not. Here's the thing, I think, for myself and for most people is when you have this thing in your life that covers up your guilt, the crazy thing is most people know it, like around you and around me. They don't really wonder. It's like, oh, yeah, that guy, that guy, he works, he's obsessed with his job. Like, he works way too hard and nobody sees him, and he doesn't have any friendships except work relationships. Okay, that is, like, everybody knows that. But, but it's like, we, we find it so hard to, like, accept that for ourselves. Why? Because we, th- we actually think we're good at hiding. We think we're really good at hiding. <laughs> but all we're doing is we're trying to patch up a righteousness that feels a bit broken, aren't we? And, I, and I'm reminded about that thing in, in Psalms where it says, God says, you know, like, if you will expose yourself to me, I will cover you. But if you don't expose, if you cover yourself for me, I actually can't help you. I have to expose it because I want to make you like me. And the only way that happens is if you lay those things down, those false identities, those, those false coverings, that, that patchwork. Right? How about this? For symbolism on this picture, Ezekiel 16. God speaking to Israel. He says this, On the day you were born, your cord was not cut, nor were you washed with water to make you clean, nor were you rubbed with salt or wrapped in clothes. No one looked on you with pity or had compassion enough to do any of these things for you. Rather, you were thrown out into the open field. For on the day you were born, you were despised. Then I, the Lord, passed by you and saw you kicking about in your blood. And as you lay there in your blood, I said to you, live. I made you grow like a plant of the field. You grew and developed and entered puberty. Your breasts had formed and your hair had grown, yet you were stark naked. Later, I passed by and when I looked at you and saw that you were old enough for love, I spread the corner of my garment over you. And covered your naked body. I gave you my solemn oath and entered into a covenant with you, declares the sovereign Lord, and you became mine. I bathed you with water and washed the blood from you and put ointments on you. I clothed you with an embroidered dress and put sandals of fine leather on you. I dressed you in fine linen and covered you with costly garments. That is the call of God, isn't it? If you will expose yourself to me, I will clothe you. I will cover you. I will make you beautiful again. What about Isaiah 61? It says, I delight greatly in the Lord. My soul rejoices in my God, for he has clothed me with garments of salvation and arrayed me in a robe of his righteousness. You know, if you're someone who beats yourself up, Let's say, in repentance, the sucky thing about it is that while that might make one of us, any of us, feel better in the moment, it doesn't. It doesn't actually help us in the long run. It's like you ever meet someone who can't shake the guilt that they're under. The problem with guilt is if you live your whole life trying to, uh, what's the word? Um, atone. If you spend your whole life trying to atone for the guilt that you feel from things in the past, your entire future is determined by your, by your past. Everything. Everything that's happened to you. If everything is about, it's like, you know, it's like you can watch like big sporting events and like you can watch people who have walked through it with grace and you can watch people, you're like, oh, like they're just trying to prove something. Like even though they won, they're still not going to live in peace. That's what happens, right? I remember watching an interview of someone in in an intense battle in a sport, and they won. And they're screaming at the top of their lungs in the interview, look at me now! But that's the feeling, isn't it? The naysayers, the feelings of, oh, you're not good enough, you haven't done enough, and all these things. But look at me now. Can I say there's no rest in that? No rest. Listen to this, Romans four. Paul writing to the Romans, quoting Abraham, and then he jumps to this cool little passage. It says this: No, uh, now uh, verse four. Now to the one who works, wages are not credited as a gift, but as an obligation. However, to the one who does not work but trusts God who justifies the ungodly, their faith is credited as righteousness. David says the same thing when he speaks of the blessedness of the one to whom God credits righteousness apart from works. And guess what he's quoting? Psalm 32 says this, Blessed are those whose transgressions are forgiven, whose sins are covered. Blessed is the one whose sin the Lord never counts against him." This is, you know, when we're dealing with our own guilt. When we choose something in the natural. Your job, your spouse, your, uh, you name it, right? Backstabbing others, criticizing others, using whatever makeup. Whatever makeup. We all know, uh, if you wear makeup, let's say you got a couple big zits on your face. If you wear makeup, you know That while for the daytime that you're out, people are seeing the best possible version of that thing, you know when you go home that makeup's got to come off. Right? You know it. And, and, And so what's important for me when I'm reading this is that Jesus is not saying, look, if you expose yourself to me, I'll put the makeup on, but then when you come home, it's still the same thing. No, 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 no. What Jesus is saying is, I'm not just a cover up. No, I have taken those things. And if you will entrust those things to me, I don't just cover them up. No, I send them somewhere. I send them to someone. I impute them on who? Jesus Christ. Why does that matter? Because the price that Christ paid was enough to wash you and I of that guilt completely. So we don't spend our lives trying to make up for the past. No, we spend our lives moving on from the past into the future, knowing that he hasn't just covered us with makeup, but he has put a garment on us that has completely washed us clean so that we don't even have to go through life without innocence. Some of us have dabbled in such sickening sin it has destroyed our morality, it has destroyed our conscience. It has destroyed us in so many ways. But let me tell you something. When God covers our sin, he restores innocence. And you can look back on the person of old and think, "Oh my gosh, how was that me? I don't even relate anymore." There's this crazy picture that we read in the Gospels. This idea, if you will expose yourself, I will cover you. You know, the Bible tells us that when Jesus was facing crucifixion, it says they stripped him naked. Think about that. And what did he wear? He wore our sin. He carried our sin. Think about that picture. Jesus was stripped naked so that you and I could be clothed. The Bible also tells us that they cast lots for his garment. And it tells us that the garment was woven in one piece. And I was just thinking, maybe you can see that in light of poetry. I was just thinking the garment of Christ, that one garment that was shed, one, woven in one piece. What is that? The one-time sacrifice. Jesus Christ laid bare his nakedness so that you and I could be clothed in his garment, sewn in one piece, the one-time sacrifice. 2 Corinthians 7.10 says this, Godly sorrow brings about repentance that leads to salvation and leaves no regret. But worldly sorrow brings death. What holds us back from embracing his garment, which actually washes us, is when we do it in our own strength. Repentance is not about beating ourselves up. Repentance is a response to the drawing of God. And yeah, sometimes we can go through life and we can ignore the drawings of God, right? But what does David say in that Psalm 32? He says, don't be like a horse, don't be like a mule, who doesn't, basically doesn't learn anything? You just, that you gotta, you know, this metal piece in your mouth and just pull this way and you go this way and pull this way and go this way, you know, and then you stop pulling and say, okay, now go right. And the horse just stands there, right? Hasn't learned anything, right? That's so you just use force. God is saying, I don't wanna just use force in your life. See, see when we're struggling with big things in our lives, things that are destroying relationships and all this stuff, if we choose to be like a mule or a horse, Life is going to be incredibly difficult. Why? Because we're not learning from what God is trying to teach us. We're not learning. We're not, we're not actually walking forward. We're just going, you know, we're not going up the mountain. We're going around the mountain. You know, the only other thing that I didn't say, but maybe it's religion. Maybe religion is the thing that satisfies our guilt. And I think that's probably a huge one for the church in, in North America, is religion. It's like, I've, I've messed up in some areas, I feel guilty, so therefore, like how many times, really, really, come on, honestly, do people show up to church because they did something bad and they're weak? Come on, it happens all the time. Happens all the time. You know, people that don't show up to church often, all of a sudden you see them when you're like, oh, Something's, you know, this is, how, this is how human nature is. Why? We want to pay the price for something. We want to make it right. You know, Mike Graves would share the story about, like, before he met Jesus, and Debs became a Christian first, and how, you know, he might have gone out with his buddies, and he had some beers, and he got a bit drunk, and he got home late, and, um, and then Debs would be like, <laughs> and he would say, sweetie, I'll come to church with you in the morning. He's in Mexico. I can share that. (laughs) What's the point? We always want to pay a price, right? But, I'm closing. promise you. Philippians 3, 7. Classic passage we always know. Paul says, But whatever were to my gain, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. What is more, the dead, and he shared on this a number of weeks ago. But he talked about how this writer, Paul, who just said, who just said what he said at the time when he was writing this, he was Paul. But at the moment where he was standing around someone's uh, uh, own kind of crucifixion, a stoning Stephen. He's standing there as Saul. And he's standing there and he's approving what's happening as they take stones and they literally hit this guy to death with stones named Stephen because Stephen believed Jesus Christ was the Messiah. And from there, I imagine that so much of Paul's life was like I'm religious. I'm zealous for what I think is right for all the things that are God oriented. I watched someone get murdered because they weren't zealous for the same things. I'm sure there was guilt. There's got to have been guilt. He was a human. Sometimes we forget these are human beings. And he must have just been spending his life. I'm going to get even more zealous in my religion, I'm going to run even harder into my religion. And yet, this same writer, when he meets Jesus, says, I consider it all lost for the sake of knowing Christ. It's rubbish. Some translations say it's dung. It's poo. So, what do we do? What do we do? We have an area in our lives we think, okay, actually, maybe I do have a little bit of this, a little bit of that, you know. It's like funny things, right? Like you could fight with your spouse, and what do you do? Then you start cleaning the house. <laughs> Remember someone else sharing that story here. It's like him and his wife would fight, and if she felt she was in the wrong, then she would start cleaning the house, paying the price. I mean, guys, we all do these things. We do it. It happens. It's real life. But then we just, we like to be prim and proper as Canadians and polite and all these things. And then we, we, we wonder why, oh, God, we want so much more of you. Yeah, well, how does that happen? It happens through repentance, You want more of him, we have to become more like him. Otherwise, we can't handle more of him. You know? God, fill me up. You're full of junk. You're full of things that you're hiding behind. You're full of fig leaves, right? That's what Adam and Eve wore, fig leaves. Crazy thing about that story is God makes the first sacrifice of his creation. What does it say? Didn't he kill some animal, right? and Take their skin and make them clothing. But it's because they came out of hiding. So Psalm 32, couple simple things we can take away. Um, Psalm 32, verse two, very simple. Davis gives us some easy handles. You know, David took the hard road. You know, always as parents, you say, "Oh, don't do what I did. Just please take my advice, and you will live." <laughs> You know, so let's take David's advice. This guy really messed himself up. Verse 2. Blessed is the man whose sin the Lord does not count against him, and in whose spirit is no deceit. First first, good piece of advice for us in our process of repentance. No deceit. Just be honest with God. Be honest with people around you. It's like, what is the point of a facade It's so fake. And yet we all do it. We all have that strong front. We all hide some of the sins in our lives. Why? Because there's this feeling of what is it, what do people think about me? You know, and then we, oh, let me get validated through this, that, or the other. It's like, what's the point? David says it here to us. Take his advice. No deceit. Verse 3 and 4. When I kept silent, my bones wasted away. Through my groaning all day long, for day and night your hand was heavy upon me. My strength was sapped acknowledge guilt. Man, to me, this is one of the biggest tools. Sometimes we're not ready to acknowledge our sin because we're too proud, but if we start by acknowledging our guilt, sometimes that opens us up enough to actually see our sin, that we can declare that thing. And it's not just so we can go on a witch hunt, you know, obsessing our lives over how, you know, me, 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 look at me, you know, we just get, that'll make us self, self-absorbed. It's, it's more about, it's about him, I want to be like him. Do you want to be like him? Yeah. <laughs> what about this? Verse 5. Then I acknowledge my sin to you, and I did not cover up my iniquity. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord, and you forgave the guilt of my sin. See, it's not enough for us to say, oh, sorry, I lied. God, I'm sorry I lied. That's good. It's not It's not bad. It's better than not saying it. But why did you lie? What's the motive? What is the reason? What is the fuel? What is the thing that you're getting? What is the fig leaf you're hiding behind? Because if we don't identify the fig leaf, we'll probably never really come out of the bushes. When we can identify what we're hiding in, that helps us open ourselves, expose ourselves fully to God so that he can come in and cover us. It's like Mika when we play hide and seek. She always hides in the same closet. She's like, and then she'll be standing outside the closet. Okay, Dad, you go count, and I'll go hide. I'm like, okay, but I know where you are. It's like, that's kind of like the picture of guilt. It's like, everybody knows. But as soon as you're ready to put it to God, it's like he'll come in. Some people, you felt like you've gone around the same mountain for years and years. Can I suggest, it might be connected to the lack of repentance in our lives. And why is it safe for us to expose ourselves to God? Why is it safe? Because it says this Therefore, let everyone who is godly pray to you while you may be found. Surely, when the mighty waters rise, they will not reach him. You are my hiding place. You will protect me from trouble and surround me with songs of deliverance. Oh, that's huge. When we expose ourselves to him. And don't just ask the what, ask the why. Why am I doing these things? Why is this reoccurring? Why am I going around the same mountain for a year, two years, ten years, twenty years? Why is it? Because I know that he is my hiding place. You see, the only way I can go into his hiding place is if I come out of my hiding place. This is very, I'm sorry, simple but good. Um... And he protects us from trouble. If you've ever been in a place where you have had guilt, you've addressed the guilt, it's like, there's lots of stories, you know, where movies, books, everything, where someone who exposes their thing that they got away with perfectly scot-free, but they just can't, they're they're soiled, right? They're dirty. But then they come clean. And even though all the consequences are coming forward, they're still free. Because it's in the open. It's out. Right? Right? It's like we don't repent from the consequence of our sin. Oh, oh, look at this. Look at how this thing is destroying my marriage. No, the the consequence of sin is what's hurt you, me, right? What are we repenting from? We're we're repenting from the sin itself. That's what's coming against God's grace. That's the thing that is stopping us from engaging his grace, the thing that he paid such a high price for. It's not the consequence of sin. It's the sin itself. And why can we expose ourselves to him? Because of his unfailing love. Many are the woes, verse 10, of the wicked. But the Lord's unfailing love surrounds the one who trusts in him. Rejoice in the Lord and be glad, you righteous. Sing all you who are upright in heart. It's not about a perfectly clean life. It's like sometimes we can hear things like this and think, Oh, sheesh, that was heavy. You know, things are great. (laughs) I'm not going there. No, it's not about a perfectly clean life. It's about having a perfectly clean conscience with God. Because that's where he can work. That's where he can speak. That's where he can move and will and do all these wonderful things that are in his good pleasure to do. Because he wants to do them. I want to read one more thing. In Acts 3, verse 19, it says this Peter's sermon. He says, Therefore, repent and return, so that your sins may be wiped away, in order that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord. Are you dry? Are you dry? Are you thirsty? Do you feel stale? Stagnant? What is it? Do you feel those things? Do you not? If you don't, that's amazing. If you do, can I suggest, it may have to do with repentance. The Bible tells us that David, you know, uh, David says something like, obedience is better than sacrifice. That's kind of, when I think about it more, that's kind of what it is. It's like we can sacrifice so much to try and clear the soiling. But actually what God is calling us to is obedience. And obedience is repent. Repent and return. Change the way you think and come back to the high place of God. You know that word refreshing, I thought this was just so cool. It says, repent and return so that your sin may be wiped away in order that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord. That word refreshing is the word anepsuxis. And it means a recovery of breath. A revival. Do you feel a bit dead inside? This is it right here. This is it. This is the call. Right? Bible says it's the goodness and kindness of God that leads us to repentance. This is not about getting exposed and embarrassed. No. It's like you want to have a life of fruitfulness. Right? I want to have a life of fruitfulness. But how fruitful, if you're married, how fruitful will your life be if you spend your entire marriage in clothes? The Bible tells us in... in um, Revelation 2 tells us that um, there was a church uh, in Ephesus who did everything well. They did everything well. You know, they did their religion well. They did their life well. They had good character. They did all these things. And the verse says, the one thing I have against you is you have to, you've forgotten your first love, right? It's like, what is is God always calling us back to? It's first love. What is first love? First love is knowing that he first loved me. That's first love. We always associate it with, oh, remember when you first got married, and you'll just do anything. And yeah, that is the reality. But first love is response. Knowing that He first loved me. I wonder if we can have the guys come up, the band. It's very, um, not very, not very um, hypey. But I feel like God gives us these moments in life where we can respond. And often it's when we're so sick of our guilt. We're so done with it, you know. Like C.S. Lewis is like, who, who in their right mind, you know, would take someone in, in a battle when they have nothing left to give. It's like that's how God works. So it says that when we're ready, when we have nothing to offer him, when we're ready to strike our colors to the mass, right, raise the white flag. When, we're, when we have nothing, that's when we do come to him and, and he, op- he embraces us with open arms, humbly. But the call to repentance is a call to humility, you know? Paul shared last week on prayer, and he said, what, 2, Chron- 2 Chronicles 7, if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, I will hear from heaven, forgive their sin, and heal their land. Right? That is the process of repentance. My people, we are his people, humble themselves, pray, right? Repentance is humility. Repentance is prayer. Repentance is seeking his face. Repentance is turning from our wicked ways. And what's the promise? I will hear from heaven. And I will forgive their sins and I will heal their land. We're crying out to God. God, give us the city. God is saying, give me your heart. And the city will follow. Say, God, use me. God, work with me. God says, okay, I want to work in you first. Not in your strength. Not in your power. Not hiding behind fig leaves. No. I have a garment that's been woven in one piece from top to bottom. And I want to clothe you in that. Prodigal son. had this big plan when he came running home, right? The son who tried everything the world had to offer. He tried everything. And he came running home thinking he's going to plead his case and cover his guilt and just with the right apology and come in and work his way up and pay off his guilt. What does the father do? Nuh-uh. Get over here. Puts a ring, a robe, and sandals on his feet. Why? says, you have the family name. You never lost the family name. But now it's time to start living like you have the family name. And I'm going to make you the thing that you thought you were going to have to work for. I'm going to start you there. And that is the gospel, isn't it? God starts us where we think we will eventually get to. Where does he start us? Son and daughter. So, if you're a son and daughter, and there's something in this for you, I thought it would be really cool for us to partake in communion together. Um, and I thought it would be cool if we did it in our connect groups. And if you're not in a connect group, that's all good. Just join into a group that's close to close to where you're standing or whatever. But why don't we just pray for one another? And let's partake of, of the body and the bread, the thing that we are celebrating even this morning. He was laid naked so that we could be clothed. That naked body and that spilled blood, that is why we are in the same room together. We don't have to share hobbies. We don't have to share interests. Yet, we're sharing the most important thing, which is the broken broken body and the spilled blood of Jesus Christ. So before we do that, feel like, if there's someone here that you're hearing this and you're not a Christian. You're hearing this message and maybe your whole life is guilt. Maybe you're here because of guilt. I'll ask you, do you want to meet Jesus Christ? The washer of guilt. If that's you, I'll just ask you to stand where you are. If there's no one, that's all good. But if there's someone here You're not certain. Maybe you did church as a kid, all these things, but you don't have any sense of like assurance of your salvation. You just feel like, I'm here and I don't really know where I stand. Maybe you need a radical encounter with Jesus. Maybe that's what you need. And if that's you, you've got history in the church, but you don't have history with Jesus, I want you to stand. And the rest of us, we can just start. um, If you see some people that are in your connect group, Why don't we break bread together, pray together, and uh, we can kind of spread it out all over the room. But let's do that. And uh, Paul, please.